We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word and go this morning to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter number 6. We'll begin reading in verse number 7, Galatians chapter number 6, and we'll begin reading in verse 7. We'll read through verse number 10. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7. The Bible says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And Paul is writing this uh, epistle to the church of Galatia and concluding it with uh, just some final remarks. And among them, uh, we find these words that we have read in verses 7 through 10. In verse number 9, we notice this statement that the apostle made. He said, let us not be weary in well-doing. That's the subject of the message. That's the title I'm using this morning, if you're taking notes. Let us not be weary. You know, the truth is we get weary. We get weary. Physically, we get tired. Mentally, we get tired emotionally. We are often people who grow tired. And spiritually, those who know Christ as Savior, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who have the Word of God dwelling uh, richly in them, we grow weary. And by the way, that's a natural tendency. That's a natural phenomenon that we would grow weary. But the apostle is warning the church at Galatia that they not remain weary. That they not remain weary. In Nehemiah chapter number 4, the workers came to Nehemiah and they said, The strength of the bearers of the burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish. In other words, people are getting worn out. And beside that, Look at this place. Look at this city. Look at this job site. It's a complete and utter mess. By the way, humanity is a mess today, isn't it? And our lives, with our sinfulness, gets quite messy. And in the mess, uh, excuse me, in the mess and in the struggle, we often find ourselves like the workers in Jerusalem, with strength decay. Well, how do we get our strength renewed? 
Well, the Bible tells us in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Where does that joy come from? It comes from knowing him. The strength that we need comes from his word and his truth. And the Apostle Paul is writing to a church, perhaps that was growing weary, getting tired, wondering if it was worth the struggle. Have you ever been there? Maybe as a Christian seeking to be a fruitful Christian, you have struggled, struggled to read your Bible, struggled to maintain your prayer life, struggled to find victory over temptation and sin, struggling against the oppressive attacks of the devil, the spiritual warfare that comes against us, struggling against the painful memories of the past and the hurts and the wounds that just seem to, uh, we, we seem to be reminded of on, on a regular basis. The struggle. The struggle of trying to raise children. The struggle of a mom trying to take care of little ones. The struggle of adult parents with young adult children. The struggles that are there, the struggles of family, the struggles of home, the struggles at work and in society, and the struggles within. As we seek to honor God, as we seek to serve God, as we seek to live for the Lord, oftentimes we grow weary. And by the way, Paul is not reproving them because they have the possibility and, and, and the probability, rather, of growing weary. He is reproving them and warning them that in their weariness that they don't remain there. They don't stay there. They don't allow their weariness to overtake them. And so he says to them in verse number nine, and let us not be weary, meaning let us not remain in a state of weariness, a condition of discouragement, a, a condition of disheartedness, a, a condition of dissatisfaction and disillusion. Let's not stay there because if we stay there, then we will cease to do well. Let us not be weary in well-doing because in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Well, this morning you may find yourself growing weary. Maybe you're long past that. And I want to help you this morning. I want to show you three truths from this passage of Scripture that I believe will enable you and I to resist the weight of weariness. That weight just pulls us down, doesn't it? That will enable us not only to resist the weight of weariness, but will uh, enable us to continue to do well. Because that's what we're supposed to do. And then to reap a harvest that will be enjoyed for all eternity. And so let me give you these truths, and I hope you'll follow along with me in the Word of God. And as always, I want to encourage you to write some things down. The first truth we find here is a principle to remember. If I'm going to cease from my weariness and continue to do well and expect to receive a harvest, if that's going to happen, 
then there is a principle in this passage that I must remember. Verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The principle that I find here is the principle of sowing and reaping. The principle of sowing and reaping. When we sow seeds into the ground, we expect to receive a harvest. And in the same way, God says, when you sow to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. When you sow to the Spirit, you shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So there's a principle for us to remember. The principle of sowing and reaping. It's an important principle because it will spur us on in the midst of our weariness. Now, there's something we need to know about ourselves. First of all, if you'll note in verse number seven, he says, be not deceived. Again, not, he is not saying that we won't be deceived at times, but he's saying that we should not remain as deceived people. You see, we are prone to deception. The Bible tells us uh, in, uh, in the book of Proverbs 14 and verse 12, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You see, the human mind is a fascinating tool. But the human mind, alone and of itself, is unable, unless aided by the Holy Spirit of God, unless it has the light of God's Word and is yielded to the, to the Holy Spirit, the human mind can lead us astray. Amen. We can reason ourselves out of the will of God. We can talk to ourselves and explain away a number of things in our lives that are displeasing to God and convince ourselves that we're doing the right thing, although we are clearly contradicting the Word of God. He says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it my heart my soul my mind my intellect my emotions my will is desperately wicked and it is deceitful i can think my motives are right i can think i'm doing right and be wrong and if i'm not careful i will talk to myself and I will listen to myself and here's what I will hear myself say there's no reason to continue in this struggle just give it up just give it up you've ministered enough you've preached enough you've taught enough nobody seems to care nobody seems to be listening as a parent you hear that often in your mind don't you will these kids ever get it Despite all of my efforts, nothing seems to be happening. And in the moment when we begin to reason with ourselves, we can be led astray. We can be deceived. And so he says, be not deceived. Notice this, God is not mocked. To mock here literally means to turn up one's nose in scorn and hence to mock, to deride. God will not be mocked. That's what he's saying. You think you're the exception? You think you're the one that's going to get away with it? You think you can continue disregarding God and disregarding His Word? 
He said, God will not be mocked. When I don't fear God, when I don't acknowledge God, when I don't reverence Him, and when I am unwilling to obey His commandments, I am mocking God. So he says, we need to understand that God is not mocked. So what am I to do? I'm to humble myself. I'm to fear him. I'm to reverence him. I'm to obey him. So I notice here, I'm prone to deception. That's why he says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Notice in verse 8, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to his flesh. When the Bible speaks of the heart of man that is desperately wicked, what is the Bible speaking of? He's speaking of that unregenerate part of us that still battles against the truth of God and battles against the Holy Spirit. Would you go back with me? to the book of uh, Galatians chapter number 5 and verse 16, Galatians chapter 5. There is a battle that is going on. It's a struggle. It's a battle within. In Galatians 5 and verse 16, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Amen. There is a battle raging in the heart of every Christian, a struggle between doing right and doing wrong, doing good and doing evil. Paul said in Romans 7 and verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, Evil is present with me. How many of you can identify with those words? A struggle. And the struggle wears us out. And in that struggle, and we need to recognize our flesh, the Bible said, is enmity against God. It's a war with God. It's corrupt. It's falling. It's deprived. That's why we can't trust our hearts. That's why we can't trust our emotions and our feelings or what somebody's telling us on Instagram or Facebook or on uh, the Today Show or whatever forum we may look to unless they're saved people proclaiming the message of God's Word in the message of God's Spirit. We need to understand there is a great danger that we would be deceived, that we would reason with ourselves and excuse ourselves to stopping, to ceasing from doing that which is good and begin to do evil to appeal to our flesh, to do what we want to do. You see, none of us like to be told what to do. None of us. But the Bible tells us that when we sow to the flesh, we shall of the flesh reap corruption. In John chapter 6 and verse 26, we read this passage last week. The followers of Jesus had finally pursued him and found him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible says in John 6, 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles. In other words, you did not come to me because you know I am the Son of God. 
That's not why you're here. Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. You're coming to me because you want another meal. You want something to eat to satisfy the craving of your flesh and neglect the need of your soul. That's when he said in verse 27, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that which endureth unto everlasting life. The devil is a master of deception and distraction, isn't he? Eve saw the fruit. It was desired to make one wise. I'll be like God. It looks pretty good to the eye. It was, it was beautiful to the sight. It was a nice looking piece of fruit, whatever it may have been. It didn't look like it could poison or corrupt in any such way. And, and, and looked really good. And the devil is really good at making sin look really good. And it was good to taste. Boy, but it was bitter later, wasn't it? It was so bitter. You see, our flesh craves that perishing meat, the things of this world, the dainties of it that draw us away to Christ. And soon we, we lack devotion for him because we're devoted to the things of our flesh. We are sowing to our flesh and that will always leave us empty and unfulfilled. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. In reading a commentary preparing for this message, an example was given of a Bible teacher, and, and one of the men that knew this Bible teacher had gone to him and said, Dr. So-and-so, I, I, I would do anything to have the knowledge of God's Word that you possess. And the gentleman kindly replied, and he said, I I'm grateful for that kind word, but I want you to know that you're far too late. He said, I started this pursuit 50 years ago. You see, the reason that man's life was so filled with truth and a love for God that was obvious to all who knew it is because he was willing to labor in the Spirit. We all know that the fundamentals of the Christian life involve a couple of things. Number one, we need to read God's Word, right? That's a fundamental. But we would all be embarrassed if a record was revealed today of how much time we've spent in it individually. We know that we have to pray, but if, if the record was given, if, if a scroll fell down from heaven to reveal how much time you and I prayed this week, we would walk out of this auditorium in shame reading the Word of God, pray as we should, witnessing, telling people about Jesus. That's a fundamental. I mean, that's just a basic. If we're going to do well, we have to do those things. And that's just the beginning. And we get weary in it. We find other things. And we wonder why, why we're missing the power of God and the presence of God seemingly is, is, is distant in our lives. It's because we're not sowing to the Spirit. We wonder why our children aren't getting it. Maybe it's because we're not getting it. Or we're not giving it 
We wonder, we wonder why there's such a struggle. And yet we find that when it's so in time, we got other things to do. So we find here there's a principle to remember. We need to remember this before we decide to get weary and stay weary and eventually find a bitch. There's a principle to remember. Secondly, there's a promise to remember. Thank God for the promise. The promise is, is that if I will labor, if I will work through my weariness, if I will continue to do well in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. That's a great promise, isn't it? The promise of sowing and reaping. Now, the truth is, as I said a moment ago, we tend to grow weary. And there is a great temptation, though, in the midst of our weariness to remain weary. This is just so hard. I didn't know it was going to be this difficult. Serving God is not easy. Not only are there those struggles that I mentioned a moment ago within, but those struggles that are without. But Satan is working against us. Do you know that we have an adversary, the devil, who has a roaring lion walking about, and what is he doing? He's not happy that you're in church today. He, 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 he's not happy that you're trying to teach your family the truths of God's Word. No, he is walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy the lives of your children. It's no time to quit. Yes, we get weak, but it's no time to quit. We must resist the temptation to remain weary. The world fights us. The flesh fights us. The devil fights us. This word weary has the thought of losing heart, losing one's courage, to be faint or despond in view of a trial. You know, the devil knows that all he's got to do for some of us to get us away from God and out of service to Christ is just bring some little difficulty in our lives. Well, there you go. That's a, another one. I've tried this before and it's just not working. Or some seed of discord. And boom, you're ready to check out. Paul is saying, don't do it. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Don't be disillusioned. Don't be despondent. We all get there. But we can't stay there. So while the possibility and the probability is that we will go faint or grow faint, he says to us, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. To faint means to, to, to be loosed from. To be loosed from. Do you know often what people do in the midst of difficulty? They want to be loosed from a responsibility, loosed from a relationship. Maybe a husband is tired or a wife is tired or parents are tired. They just wish they could be loosed from these relationships. 
or loosed from the responsibility of serving God. They just want out. They want to find a way just to get out. He says, in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. You see, weariness can lead to fainting. We've had enough. I'm out of here. I've tried reading my Bible and praying, Pastor, it just doesn't work for me. Oh, I would just say to you, if you sow to the Spirit, you shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You will reap eternal rewards and dividends. That professor that I mentioned a moment ago, his reaping was evident to all. Do you think in all his years of Bible study that the struggle ever went away? I can tell you it didn't. There may be times when he wasn't even conscious of the reaping, but it was conscious or aware rather all who were aware all who were around him were aware that this man had spent time with God the Bible said they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus when Moses came off the mountain he shined with the Shekinah glory of God labor in the spirit so in the spirit and in due season it won't happen immediately won't happen immediately but in due season we shall reap if we faint not in hebrews chapter number 12 the writer of hebrews says wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us Life is not a 50-yard dash. It's a marathon. Amen. Raising kids and being a faithful Christian and, and learning to, to, to overcome temptation in your life, to being a faithful witness, being the husband and wife and the father and the mother that you ought to be. It's a lifelong pursuit. And what happens to so many of us when we don't see immediate results, we get disheartened and we quit. But in due season, we should reap if we faint not. That's why the apostle wrote, run with patience the race that is set before us. And as we run, what does he say? Looking unto Jesus. Boy, I'll tell you, we get ourselves in trouble when we take our eyes off him, don't we? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. If we could say to the Lord Jesus, how did you endure that dreadful instrument called the cross? How did you deal with the shame and the abuse? How did you become a participant of that cup of our iniquity that was poured upon you, though you had done nothing wrong? How is it, Lord, that you endured it? He would say for the joy that was set before me, the joy of the harvest. Remember uh, when the, the, the Samaritan woman returned back to the village and she told the men of the place, she said, listen, I've met the Messiah. I've met the Son of God. And here they came following her. And as, those, uh, as that crowd came across that field, Jesus said to the disciples, look, the fields are white unto harvest. The headdresses of those men looked like moving grains and wheats in the field. 
He said, the, the fields are white under harvest. A reaping time is coming. And I want to say that if you will endure and be faithful, if you will rest in Christ and labor in his power and in his strength, and you will do what you're supposed to do as a believer, as a man, as a woman, as a young person, a reaping day is coming. A glorious harvest is coming. That brings me to a third thought. We've seen that as we get weary, there's a principle for us to remember. We sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we will reap life everlasting. There's a promise to remember. That if we fake not, we'll enjoy the harvest. But then thirdly, there's a practice to remember. A practice. There's something that you and I must do. You know, when I played football as a little boy, I liked the games. I liked putting on my jersey and walking around like I was big stuff as a little six-year-old. Number 34, I was the quarterback. I remember one game I scored three touchdowns. And because I had seen uh, the University of Tennessee football players, uh, when they would score their touchdowns and stick the ball in the air as they were going across the goal line, I, I mimicked that, you know. I thought I was the hot stuff. We won one game that year and that was it. <laughs> I remember after the game walking around like, hey, yeah, that's right. I'm 34. I'm, I'm 34. Yeah. Do you, you want my autograph? Okay. But I didn't like going to practice. Practice would normally start running around the field so many laps. I didn't like it. I got tired. And then we would lay on the ground and do calisthenics and uh, we would do those leg lifts. Do you guys remember those leg lifts? Any of you guys? Yeah. No, no, no. None of you ever did the leg lifts. Up, down, up, apart, together, apart, and a long pause. Together, please say down. Apart. You see, it hurt. Practice was necessary running plays, tackling drills. All of that was necessary to become the player that you need to become. Nobody wants to practice. They want the sports center highlights of the Christian life, but they don't want to go to practice. God says, put this into practice. Look at verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity... Let us do, that's an active command, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Here we find the practice of sowing and reaping. If I'm going to reap, I got to sow. I got I to gotta get in the field and I got to work. Now, notice how I'm to work according to our opportunity. As we have, therefore, opportunity. Do you know what all of us possess? Opportunity. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't have the same talents. We don't have the same abilities. And we don't have the same opportunities. 
But we do have a little bit of each of those things, some more abundant than others, but all of us have an opportunity. And we need to understand it is God who has sovereignly worked in our lives to place us in the job, in the marriage, in the home, in the church, in the community, and has given us opportunity to serve Him. All of us have opportunity. And so according to our opportunity, as we encounter people who have need, by the way, the greatest need that the world has is the need to hear the message of the gospel. That's the greatest thing we can do for this world. And so as opportunities come to us and the needs of others are presented to us, and as we have ability to address those needs, then we need to do good. As we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good. Mr. Odom stood here a moment ago, and he explained to us that we can all get involved if we choose to get involved in the angel tree ministry, which is a ministry that, 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 that we provide. We're trying to encourage families who are struggling and could use some help at Christmas. And we've asked, if you know somebody like that, would you turn in their information? Primarily, a number of these, these families that will help are, are families that we're reaching through our bus ministry. But you may know of someone. Once we have a list of families that are in need, then we will ask the church family to go out and purchase gifts for those uh, for the children and, 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 and try to be a blessing to them. We'll give you a list of sizes and, and needs. We'll also, uh, on the first Sunday in December, we'll, on Sunday evening, have our candlelight service, and we'll ask everyone in our church family to bring non-perishable food items, and we'll assemble food baskets. We'll ask you to bring cash donations, and with that cash, we'll purchase meats and other goods. We'll assemble those baskets and we'll distribute them. That's an opportunity for us to do good. Now, you could magnify that opportunity a hundred times in your life, depending on where you are. But the Bible says, according to our opportunity, let us do good. Psalm 34, 14 says this, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Psalm 37 and verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul says to Timothy, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good. Don't forget, if God's blessed you, you have a responsibility to do good. James said in James chapter 4 and verse 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not. To him it is sin. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, For he that will love life and see good days. Boy, wouldn't you like to do that? Love life? I know a lot of people who don't love life. Miserable and unhappy. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile, let him eschew evil, avoid evil, and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it.
You see, there's a practice to remember. We have a responsibility to do right, to do good. So may God help us to do it. Unto all men. Unto all men. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 44? But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good unto them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Do good to those who hate you. And then he says this, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all men shall know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Do you know what causes dissension and division in the church? Ungodly attitudes developed in the heart of God's people toward other people who know God. Ungodly attitudes developed in our hearts toward others who know God. May God deliver us and may God help us. Let us be not weary in well-doing. There is a principle for you and I to remember. There is a promise for us to remember. And there's a practice for us to remember. And in the midst of the weariness, may God help us to remember these things. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior. I want to encourage you today to come to him. He loves you. He died for you. He made the payment for your sin. He rose again to give you eternal life. And if you'll come to him, he will save you. There are many here today who are weary. Weary. We get there, but don't stay there. It's a choice that we make. So what do I do, pastor? Well, if I'm there, I need to repent. I need to confess the sin of remaining in my weariness. I need to bring my weariness to Christ. I need to rest in his strength. I need to return. I need to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm to do good in his strength and his power. And I can receive the harvest that he has awaiting. But I got to be patient. And that's a hard thing for us to learn and a message for another day. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.